Hey guys, how's it going? Scotty from scottspaysystems.com and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast. Today we've got a really interesting guy. We've got Kerry Nordstrand, who is the main man behind Nordstrand Audio and Nordstrand Guitars. And you may not know it, he's actually a badass bass player as well. His backstory includes helping to get Traveller guitars off the ground, working alongside the likes of Steve Zola and John Sir, before risking everything by quitting his job at Sir Guitars to start up on his own. And obviously, you know, the rest is history. Nordstrand Audio currently boasts a pretty comprehensive range of specialist pickups with the likes of Tim LaFave, Evan Marion, Jamario Artis and Abel Boreal all getting in on the act. And he's also been working with Justin Chancellor of Tool on some pickups for Justin's new Warwick bass. So if you want to know more about how pickups work and why Carey thinks they're one of the most influential tonal aspects of the bass, even more so than the body and neck would, well then this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's get into this week's podcast with Carey Nordstrand. Take it away, Nick. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the SBL podcast, joined today by Kerry Nordstrand, who you may have heard of through oh, various different avenues. Kerry, you've been busy making guitars, basses, pickups, preamps. I mean, what don't you do at the moment? Uh, um, that's, a, that's a tough one. I just We just cut down a tree in front of my house yesterday, so I can hang <laughs> that. So. From the source. Yeah. Um, let's start right at the beginning. How did you find your way into, into this business? Um, well, this is going 20 plus years ago. There was this, uh, local guitar shop. I, I went to school for recording engineering at this, uh, post Grove school of music. It was called Grove center for contemporary music. And this was around 94, 93, 94. And then I got, I decided that I didn't want to be in that world because it was, I, I just didn't have the right personality for it. I might have had the right sort of temperament, but not personality because of the hang and, and all the, the the social aspects of you know trying to, to talk yourself up and I, it just wasn't I wasn't ready for it so <clears throat> I came back out here to Redlands and uh started hanging out in the local guitar shop and there was a guy uh Caleb who was who owned the shop and his partner Leon they were doing this thing called the traveler guitar and I, I literally was like a sh- uh, music shop groupie and I was hanging out with my my buddy one of my best friends, Ryan, and, you know, looking through Ibanez bass catalogs and lusting after the super high end stuff going, Oh gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? Um, and so Caleb, he, I think he got annoyed with me hanging around so much and he, he said, Hey, are you, are you busy? And I was like, well, no, obviously not. <laughs> so, um, so he pulls me in the back room and he's having these parts made in, um, in Mexico for these, this guitar called the traveler guitar. And so he shows me how to assemble them and maybe do some fret work, um, you know, put them together, dial them in. And, I, you know, now I look back and I go, yeah, I, I think I had a pretty good knack at this stuff. Uh, but but at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to do the best I could. And, and so that that was that was this traveler guitar thing. I started assembling it. Um Caleb made some funky business choices and I think the economy was a little funny at the time as well. And so it turned out that this other guy, a friend of mine named Corey and I were hanging around and we, we sort of, you know, in one of those scheming sessions decided we should try to buy this thing and from Caleb cause he's in, kind of on the outs. 
And and then Leon, also the guy who designed the thing, who did most of the work of figuring out how to make the rollers go around the end. I don't know if you've seen these traveler yeah, yeah. traveler. Could you just describe them, just in case we haven't? You guys haven't. Well, them. Um, the the tuning machines come up through the body on either side of the strings, and they they go around like, like it's a headless instrument. Headless so the ball right? yeah. the ball goes on the head end. Mm-hmm. And then the string goes around the body, around the end, over a little roller, and then it goes to the tuning machine, which the the, the knob sticks up through the face of the instrument. Um, and so that's you know that's how you tune them. And, and so it's it's really short. It's like twenty four inches long. It's super short. So it's super great for for traveling. I mean that's where the name came from, obviously. Sure. Um, and so we we uh, we put together some some contracts and. Both the guys signed them, Leon and, and Caleb, and, and we were off and running. And in pretty short order, I realized that mass producing a low low price instrument wasn't for me. And I bailed pretty quick uh, once we actually got it going. It, it seemed like it was an impossible task at the time. But much to his credit, Corey has taken the thing gangbusters. And I mean, I was just looking at a Sweetwater um, email the other day, and it's top five travel guitars, and they have two of them in their list there. And I was just dang you guys are killing it so right, yeah. and over the years i've designed a couple of other things for them they have a bass like a p bass style bass and i designed that and I, I did a few other things i'm not sure how much of it actually ended up in their product line but but we've we've stayed friendly over the years um but then after so, so when i bailed there i went to work for this guy named steve azola and he was building these electric upright bases sure, those, um, yeah. yeah and um, that went about two years until it kind of ran its course. And then from there I went to, to work for John Sir for four years. Um, and between those two guys, Steve Azola and John Sir, I, I really, um, really got my act together in terms of learning how to make high quality instruments. Um, and so then this was around 2002, end of 2002, my wife at the time and I, I was living in Corona and working at Lake Elsinore for John Sir, and we bought a house up the road from Redlands here in Yukaipa with a three-car garage so I could set my shop up. And so we bought a house, and then I quit my job. (laughs) It seems like a mad, mad idea now, but at the time, it was like, well, this is what I got to do if I want to do this. So um, I got a little bit of money from, from family, and bought the rest of the tools I needed and started building instruments. And this was right when the internet was kind of becoming a thing that you could use to promote yourself. And I was spending a lot of time on talkbase.com. And before long, I, I you know, I, I, I was backed up over a year with orders. Um, so it, it went really well. I used to, I had a website that I would update and it was, you know, I had a what's new page and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, I was effectively blogging, you know, the creation of the instruments. I'd post pictures, work in progress pictures. And these guys on talk page just ate it up. It was, it was wonderful. So, so that was 2003, the beginning of 2003, I started the business. I was in my garage for a year and a half, maybe two years. And then we moved into an industrial space in Yukaipa. And then about six years ago, we moved down to Redlands and got a much nicer space and, um, set everything up in there and it's been great what were your initial sort of uh, ambitions or goals in terms of the instruments themselves um setting out to do you know i don't think i ever consciously had any like like objectives i mean okay so i was in my early 30s and you know i was pretty 
pretty sure of myself. So, you know, one of the things that I told myself was I want to be mentioned in in the top five names of builders who I consider the top five, you know, Tobias, Federa, F base, you know, people like that. Um, and so, you know, I just, I just wanted to be known for doing as, as high a quality work as possible. Um, fortunately I have the, the OCD <laughs> to, to do that. And, and I, I got, you know, I just wanted to establish like a recognizable identity in terms of design and aesthetic and, and, you know, just build super high quality stuff that when people picked it up, they would, they would go, Whoa, what, what is this? You know, that would, it would stuff that would be shockingly good, you know? Um, so what were your and, reference points for that in terms of the actual style of the instrument itself? Uh, well, uh, Mike Tobias was a huge influence on me. Um, there was a story in Bass Player Magazine years ago uh, called Secrets of Tone. Like, see, I think that's what it was called. And it was about the woods. Right. And there was a picture of him in there, and I think he was still out in his Burbank shop here. And he's standing behind a, uh, like a little workbench, and he's got like four or five unfinished Tobias bases, and he's like holding a couple of them up. And, and I just my eyes just popped out of my head. I'm like, wow, that is the coolest thing ever. And so I just, I just, the idea of working with the wood and, and, you know, doing really beautiful laminations and figuring out what words sound good in what combination, um, just this, this curiosity about the results, you know, um, but yeah, he was a huge influence on me, um, in terms of actual, like feel and playability and, and things like that. I mean, I got a lot of that from working at John Sir's shop. Um, like how, figuring out how I wanted the edges of my necks and the, the fret ends to feel and the neck shapes themselves and things like that. But a lot of it I had no idea, and I was just sort of guessing and, and thinking, well, this this would feel good to me. And, that, and that's kind of that's kind of how I got into the pickups. Was was like I have no idea, but let's try this. <laughs> pickups, I think, are a really interesting thing. It's not often people think about the pickups when they, they they try bass and it's not sounding quite right. They usually immediately go to the amp or start playing with the EQ or something like that. They don't usually think about the pickup. What's your yeah. take on that? Well, I, this is, I mean, I feel, I feel a little bad for saying this because you know, that article I read that Mike Tobias wrote was all about how the woods affect the tone right? and choosing different woods makes a different sound. But, personally over the the 16 years that i've been doing this now making pickups and basses and guitars um i think the pickup is one of the main main factors in how an instrument sounds um it's it's huge its impact i I don't think can be understated um it um so for me it goes i mean the the top factors are things like scale length string type pickup placement and then type of pickup um and then, uh, sorry, Michael. <laughs> further down the line, you you start getting into things like woods, um, you know, recipes, neck woods, uh, truss rod style construction, the the hardware. Um, you know, the electronics are important too. The preamp, um, whether you're using passive components or a preamp or both, you know, with a switchable setup. So, uh, yeah, I. I the, the I mean we've made pickups now f- anywhere from ceramic and steel 
uh, neodymium and steel, Alnico 3, Alnico 5, uh, ceramic guitar humbuckers, uh, Alnico slug pole piece humbuckers for guitars. Um, and it's just the pickups are a, a huge, huge part of the sound. So, Can you just tell us a bit about how they work differently? Different types of pickups and how they affect the sound. Well, my uh, sort of let's see if I can simplify this down. Sure. Um, the, the 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 magnets, or or what I like to call the engine of the pickup, is like the the magnet that, and the inductive structure of it. Which by the time you put the wire on there, that's part of it. Um, but the magnets and the metal and and the the coil form and all of that stuff is sort of like the engine. And then the winding is, is kind of you're, you're building how powerful that, that engine is going to be depending on how much wire you put on it, how it's going to sound. Um, so just walking through the different magnets and materials in my experience, like starting at the softest, more vintage end of the game is Alnico three, um, which we make a, a tele pickup set that's we call the nvt a3 and it it's just it's just lush it's that magnet is so perfect for that type of pickup um we do a lot of um you know lowry mcmillan um yeah he's got a set of alnico 3 j5 pickups in a sadowski bass and i think that's one of his main instruments and and i've heard some recordings and it's just it's just super fat rich lush growly really amazing and so then when you move from Alnico 3 to Alnico 5, you start gaining more um, more zing. It's a, it's a little, the, the attack is quicker. Uh, it's a little brighter in general. It's, it's kind of a um, more accurate sound. Um, and then, so then like the next step would be ceramic and steel. It, so the thing about this is... Um, the magnets are are just a part of the overall picture, and how you wind the coil is is hugely Im- impactful as well. Like I could make an Alnico five pickup that sounds a lot like an Alnico three pickup by putting more wire on it in a slightly different yeah. way, um, or I could make an Alnico three pickup that sounds more like an Alnico five pickup by putting less wire on it and and making it a little cleaner sounding. Um, but you know you still have more range outside of that starting point for each type of, of of material that you're using. So so for me the trick is always to find the optimized ideal sort of middle ground for a given coil shape or form or um, and that's that's something where the intuition and the experience of doing this for for so long starts to show up in in you know I mean I have I have four guys four three guys that work full time for me winding pickups right now and one part time. And, you know, when, when we sit there and discuss, okay, here's a new, here's a new pickup. Here's what we're going to try on this. It's this magnet. It's this shape. So let's try this wire. It looks like we have that much space on it. So let's try, I don't know, 8,000 turns of 42 heavy form var and do the, you know, the pitch speed on our machines is how quickly the traverse moves back and forth across the face of the bobbin as the as the thing spins and varying that can have a significant impact on how tight the coil is and on how you know the quality of the sound that comes out of the coil my basic operating principle is i want the fattest wire i can get the loosest coil i can get you know the 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 most sort of airy coil 
that I can get for a given space to give me a relatively even sound. In other words, balanced from top to bottom. Um, and that, so when you make a bigger coil, what you end up getting, I'm telling all my secrets here. <laughs> so <laughs> what you get is you get, you capture more of the magnetic field as the string moves and excites the, the magnetic field. You capture more, more content with a bigger coil. The smaller coil is going to get less of that field moving. So you get a bigger, richer, uh, more complex sound when you can achieve, you know, that objective of, of you know, what I just said. <laughs> so, um, this might be a stupid question. So sorry if it is, but do pickups change with age and as they get played more like in the same kind of way wood does sometimes? Um, you know, you know it's some really old vintage pickups that just had that something. Totally. Just down uh, to production. Uh, well, it, I, I think it's, there's a lot of factors in there and I don't think you can put your finger on any one of them with any certainty. Right. Um, there's certainly, I mean, I've come across a fair number of vintage pickups over the years. Um, and, and actually in one case, uh, I won't mention who this was for, but we were, uh, copying a set of 74 J pickups and, um, they, they were, they, the coils were like funky shape. They were a little warped and weird. And, and so we spent a day going back and forth and, and I, you know, I took the DC reading and I knew what kind of wire was on it. And, and so I made, I think two or three sets and I got to the point of where I couldn't tell the difference. And this person I was working with, I mean, he was, uh, he thought he heard a difference, but it was, it was that close to where it could down, be down to just what you're thinking, you know, your, your, sure. your, your confirmation bias. Um, so, you know, that said, I do believe that pickups, they change over time. And, and there's a couple of things that can happen as I'm thinking about this. Um, old vintage fender pickups were potted in lacquer to stabilize the wires and make them less prone to, to feedback. And lacquer, there's an acid in it that reacts with the, the, the windings, and over time the coil kind of shrinks and dries up, and then it, eventually the, the wires pull loose and you have a dead pickup. It, it, anybody who's listening who, who has a vintage fender and the pickups still work, uh, enjoy it while it lasts because it probably won't go forever. There's going to come a time when you're going to have to have it rewind. It might be next year, it might be 10 years, it might be 50 years, but it's very likely that all those lacquer potted pickups eventually will fail um, because of this chemical reaction that's going on in these, in these pickups. So yeah, they, I think probably due to that shrinkage, they probably sound a little bit different over time. Um, in terms of the magnets aging and, and, you know, becoming degaussed, I, I, I tend to believe less in that and more in the fact that the formula that they used for the magnets back in the days was slightly different and could vary from batch to batch because, they didn't have the the control over things that they do now. So, um, as a matter of fact, that was one of the things that John Sir was w w they were doing was they had uh, this company uh, basically figure out reverse engineer the formula for a vintage magnet and then make them their own version of that vintage magnet. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, the, the magnets are a big deal. I mean, that's also that's where the Alnico three thing came from. Everybody assumed that everyone was using Alnico five until there was this book done called the Blackguard book, which investigated old tele uh, telecasters, and 
and they they chemically analyzed some magnets and found out, wait a minute, this is Alnico 3. And, and all the guitar makers are like, oh, Alnico 3, we got to go over there now. <laughs> and for a while, they thought it was Alnico 2. So it, it's kind of been, you know, the, the, the magnets are probably one of the main reasons old pickups sound different than right. new ones. And of course, you're not going to go out and, you know, chemically analyze every magnet that's out there. It's just impractical. But um, uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, our pickups are consistently good is because the magnets are consistent and, and we've figured out how to make them sound good with, with the recipe that we have in terms of the magnets and, and the characteristics that I want to hear. So, How about yeah. when you're working with other artists? I was having a look at your website and the list of names that use your pickups is pretty impressive. Some great players. Uh, yeah, no kidding. I, uh, yeah, sometimes I scroll through the artist page and I, j- I just I can't believe it. Um, uh, and the, you know, here's the, the the one for me that's like huge. Like I never dreamed this could be happening. Was was uh, Justin Chancellor of Tool? Sure. Uh, I mean, he's known for being pretty much inseparable from his wall base, right? It's 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 a part of his sound to the degree that I, I think there are a few bass players out there who are that integrated with their instrument in terms of what their sound is. Um, and so, uh, you know. You, I, you, I, I, he's having a Warwick made, and I, we, I wanted to try to give him something that was reminiscent of, kind of rooted in the wall sound, but went in a slightly different direction. I mean, why would I make him a pickup that sounds the same? I mean, that's sure. kind of kind of pointless to me. And I've kind of felt that way about everything I've made over the years. I don't want to copy other people's sound. I want my own thing that that is going to be different and interesting and, and unique. Um, so anyway, we've been going back and forth on uh, trying to dial in what he wants tonally. Uh, and it, it takes a while. So, And I think over the years, too, I mean, I've worked with a lot of players. And this was more often in the building, uh, making instruments side of it. Um, it's very easy as a, as a you know, a... When you start to think you're you're doing well and you know you're you're generating some idea of of your identity, it's very easy to get caught in feeling self-important <laughs> and then being dismissive of your of some of the players that you work with and and maybe not really listening to them in a way that might further what you what you want to achieve or what they want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, that that's been it's been tough to kind of get out of my own way and really listen to the player really watch them, listen to what they're saying, listen to how they play, listen to their other instruments that they bring into play to show you kind of which direction they want, listen to recordings that they point to. Um, so I've had to kind of get my own ideas about what I was doing out of the way and, and pay attention deeply to what, what players listen to and what they want. And that, that learning how to develop that skill over the years has been invaluable. Um, really you know paying deep attention is is important and so that's led me to kind of you know brief moments of insight and ideas and and solving problems and and lots of solutions that you know i end up with things that if i stuck to my no i know what i'm doing path uh it wouldn't wouldn't have turned out quite the way that that uh that they would have you know so well so while we're on that subject, what what's else is coming up for you in terms of the pickups and, and the building? What have you got 
coming up in the next next few years? Um, well, we just started this this rocket surgeon pedal thing. Right. Um, have you seen that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've had this idea for a while, and I, I got to mention my nephew because <laughs> because I used to he's he was this precocious, really you know really intelligent child, and um, I used to tease him about you know rocket surgeons. Like I love mixed metaphors, and I would say, well, when you have a rocket that needs to <laughs> be repaired. Who do you call? Well, you call a rocket surgeon. He's going to have to fix the rocket. He's like, no, there's no such thing. <laughs> he was so, he gets so mad at me. And so, um, and we used to say around the shop, well, it's not rocket surgery. You know, we just, and the other one we used to say, we say a lot is, uh, you know, when someone's kind of making things worse than they need to be for themselves is they, they shoot their foot in the ass. Um, <laughs> so, so we just love that kind of stuff. So, so the idea then was to have this, I don't know how it kind of floated into the, into being, whether it was entirely me or, or just conversations with people that, that work with me was to have, uh, you know, a group of folks who kind of design their own pedals. And part of this came about because this guy that works for me, Dr. Vaton, John, um, he, he was where he was making pedals on his own. Um, he was going to try to sell them on his own. And I was like, dude, let's do, let's make pedals under this brand. And, you know, as, as long as we make sure it's killer, um, you know, I get my ears on them and we dial them into where I think that the market's going to respond and people are going to be excited about it. We'll, we'll put your name on it, but it'll be a, a character. It's, obviously it'll still be your name as well behind the, the, yeah. the character. Um, and then we'll sell them through, you know, through my channels because, you know, I, I have the attention of a lot of players. And and so he was like, oh, yes, that's a great idea. And then right around when we were talking about that, I was becoming friends with this other local guy named, named Ralph. And he's um, Dr. Fuzzbrower. Um, and he was he's been making, you know, kit pedals for years. And he started messing around and doing his own thing. And I was like, there's there's another guy right there. So so right now there's those two guys and me. And, you know, the idea is we each have our own handmade version of pedals and we make them ourselves. And then we're going to do productionized versions as well that are going to be more affordable and maybe go through a dealer network. I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out yet. But but so far, that's been, been really good. They both sold out their first batch of, in, of pedals and they're working on their second batches and um the response has been great i've been able to utilize this brilliant marketing uh design person that i hired uh sonia who's who does a little social media too and, and she's just she's just been killing it with the, the marketing and the artwork for this thing it's it's just a blast we're having so much fun with it um but so so that's coming along, and then I don't know. We, we just released our new website um, a week ago, a week and a half ago, and we changed. We've morphed from Nordstrand Pickups to Nordstrand Audio because right. it makes more sense to put the Rocket Surgeon thing under that bigger umbrella. Um, and then, I, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the recording studio, so I, I have a, a crazy idea that I want to get into making you know studio preamps and and even you know. I, I get so many ideas. There's just not enough time in the day um, <laughs> to, to, to realize all this stuff. I, I'd love to get into making microphones. I'd love to get into making like physical media reverbs, like plate reverbs or uh, spring reverbs or maybe even like hose reverbs, you know, kind of a thing um, where it's actual physical thing where you put a microphone in one end and, and a speaker in the other end and you, you know, you could, tr- could manipulate the physical media to control the reverb. 
and you know make them like really high end um i think that would just be a blast but uh i'm working on my record right now yeah i'm working on the record man let's talk about that Um, cool yeah tell us about it if you don't know um you're making this really cool album and it's almost yeah it's just about to be coming out it's done the music's done we've got a video that's in the can um i'm trying to figure out and learn how to make videos myself and edit and do all that stuff so it's even more stuff to do but um we've got a website out um it's going to hit all the streaming and you know download sites and we're gonna have cds made it's it's gonna hit this friday actually um uh, which by the time people always, hear this after that you but it's played have you always been playing throughout your career i mean it's often i find the builders tend to shy away from the playing as they get more involved in that side of things uh, um yes i started actually i started building because i wanted a base that I couldn't afford, of course. So I wanted to make something really nice for myself. Ironically, I couldn't afford to own one of my own instruments for at least 10 years when I started <laughs> building. Um, but yeah, I started playing. I, I mean, I played saxophone in in uh, high school and then briefly in, in my my sad attempt at university. Um, I was only there for a year. Um, and then I went, you know, I, I played saxophone. I traded it in for a bass guitar and I took bass lessons from the guy who's actually my partner on this, this music project that we're calling Moba Jones. Um, and we have a website, mobajones.com. And it, it's, um, so it's kind of this full circle thing. But yeah, I've been playing continuously over the years. Not, I mean, obviously not. I didn't actually play in a band, play out in a band until about a year ago. Uh, for the first time ever as a, as a bass player. So um, did this little four sound project with this guy that worked with me. And that's how I met my drummer that I play with now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, I played bass, play guitar. I play drums. I've been taking singing lessons for over two years now. Um, and then I just trying to been learn how trying to learn how the studio works and I assembled this little studio in a unit next to the shop and um, just digging into the gear. Um, I got to mention the universal audio products because those are huge, huge in, in what we've been able to do. But, but yeah, we, we worked on this record for on and off for about two years. I mean, we, both of us had like full-time jobs. Um, so carving out four or five hours a couple times a week was, was, was about all we could do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's done. It's ready to come out and we're excited about it. And we're going to, hopefully I don't make people sick about it, sick of it by talking about it so much. But, um, I think it's fun because I used five, like five different bases on it. Um, and you can really hear like what I, how I think a bass works and could and should sound in, in a mix and a production. I mean, obviously it's a certain style of music that we're doing. It's our own thing. Um, but it's just, I, I love having a handful of instruments around and having a track start to come together and hearing in my head, Oh, this sound, let me try that bass and then grabbing that and plugging it in. And then, you know, usually going, Oh wow. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Holy cow. That's killer. Or, well, maybe not that. Or then the track will morph a little bit. I'll add some other components here and there elements. And then, and then like, okay, that bass isn't going to work anymore. Let's try a different one. Um, it's just a really, and I tell you what, this is the hugest thing about having that studio is that it's incredibly informative to how I develop the products I develop and, and, and the sounds, how I get the sounds that I want to hear 
out of the instruments. Um, I was about to say that. Do you find yourself overthinking things from a technical standpoint? Not usually. No, I, I, I have a pretty good knack for avoiding that. As a matter of fact, sometimes I might be guilty of underthinking them technically. Uh, um, I like to keep things really simple. Um, and I mean, that's led to some really good solutions, elegant, simple solutions to, to problems that we've encountered over the years. Um, but yeah, I, I like to keep things simple and, and do it the quickest kind of scrappiest way possible. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been pretty awesome to, to have that space and be able to go in there. And it's like, it's like, um, oh, I can't think of a good metaphor right now, let alone a mixed metaphor. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, be- before we sign off, I just want to get some advice. What advice would you give for younger guys who, um, maybe have as many ideas as you do and, perhaps not brave enough to follow them through or just help back. I mean, it seems like whatever you come up with over the years, you've just gone for it, which is a really brave thing to do, but it's really exciting as well. It, um, I, so do you think you have to have a certain sort of attributes or character attributes to, to go through with those things? Well, look, it's just built up I, for me. I think, I mean, doing all of this for me somehow characterologically the way that I was put together as a child, there's, there's almost a rebellious quality to what I'm doing, you know, internally, like "Ah, I'm going to do it anyway, kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, you know, in in spite of what people, I'll never forget when I was in in Caleb's guitar in you know, back in the early days, the the guy next to me, this guy, this old repair guy, he's kind of this crotchety old dude. I was telling him one day, I was regaling him with my dreams of building instruments one day. And he's like, ah, that, that's, that's impossible no one's ever going to make any money doing that and and i was like uh, i'll show you buddy <laughs> so so um so that rebellious streak of of just the self-conviction um you know that played a big role for me that that said look you know the older i get i'm, I'm 46 now and you know i joke about how selling my house or buying a house and quitting my job was a, an insane thing to do but I wouldn't be here if I didn't do it and, and risk. I mean, you see all these goofy memes on Facebook about, you know, the master has failed more times than the student has even tried. And it, it's so freaking true. You just got to do it. Um, and, and you gotta, you gotta realize that failure is not a, is not, is not going to define you. Um, you know what I mean? Like a lot of us who have these grand ideas about doing all of this stuff, we get it. We get attached to who we think we're, we, we want to be about. We have this identity of like, oh, I'm going to be this famous guitar builder, or pickup designer or musician or whatever, you know, you, your chosen path is. And, and you, you invest a lot of meaning into what people will think of you when you achieve that. Well, that can be paralyzing to the point of where you don't actually take the risks to ever get there. So if we can if we can let go of our attachment to being defined by our work as it's either a success or a failure, um, then you you're you're just you're freed up. You you have complete freedom to just keep trying stuff and just keep doing it. And and you know the the biggest piece of advice is if it's something that is truly coming from your core, don't stop. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And eventually you'll learn, you know, the love that you have for it will show you the way 
to, to, to realize and actualize, you know, the manifestation of your authenticity and what you're doing, whether it's product or music or whatever. So just keep going. It's Don't working. stop. <laughs> it, it's worked for me. I, I actually, I, I, I have an idea for a book that, that might, maybe it's, maybe it's not a book. Maybe it's a series of, of blog posts or whatever, but um, I've done a lot of spiritual work around this, this type of thing. And, and, you know, self-actualization, self-realization through sort of undoing our own internal conditioning and, and the things that, you know, we sort of self-sabotage ourselves with our unconscious ways of doing things in the world. And I think I've got some pretty good, clear ways of, of helping people, you know, having learned on my own path of, of helping others maybe see the light for themselves and find themselves through their own work and, and their own self-work. So that might be something that's coming out down the road, but, um, I got a lot of other things I got to do still. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Gary. On that note, I just want to say thanks very much um, for chatting oh. with us today. Do go and check out the new website, which was NorthstrandAudio.com. Yep, yep. And where can we find um, the new album? The, the new album um, is is on our our website, MobaJones.com. It's M O B A G J O N E S, and it'll be available on iTunes. Probably by the time people hear this, it'll be out. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, thanks for taking the time. I really, really appreciate this. My pleasure. Thanks again, Kerry. Take care guys. Thanks Nick. Okay guys. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I just want to say massive, um, give a massive shout out to Kerry as well uh, for being a, such a top bloke and uh, hanging out with Nick and letting him know more about what he's up to and, and everything around, well, everything around what he does. Uh, remember if you haven't been over to scottsbasslessons.com yet, and checked out what we're doing, go over there. Essentially, in a nutshell, we are the ultimate online bass school. So if you're a hobby, hobbyist or semi-pro bass player, and you're focused on taking your bass playing to the next level, or your bass playing is just stuck in a rut, then the membership at Scott's Bass Lessons is absolutely for you and what you're looking for. We've got an awesome course library with over 25 step-by-step courses and we add a brand new course each and every month as well and every week we also host a live stream seminar with some of the best basic educators on the planet so you can interact and ask tutors in real time within each seminar from the comfort of your own home nothing like this has ever existed before so we're really really pushing base education to the next level and guys our faculty consists of some of the best of the best of the best many of our teachers have taught or currently teach at some of the best music schools on the planet so yeah if you want to drop 80 grand on a college degree to get access to these guys that is an option but the much easier option a much cheaper option is to tune in every month every i can't speak every monday to one of our live streams so you can you know you can learn from these guys Ask questions in real time each and every week as part of your membership at Scott Space Lessons. In fact, just over the last two weeks, we've had seminars focused on organising your practice time effectively, baseline and groove creation, soloing and improvisation, how to clean up your technique, theory, and more importantly, how to apply it, and way more. So we have you know, a live stream every single week. And whatever style of music you're into as well, we've got you covered. Whether it's jazz, funk, blues, rock, R&B, reggae, gospel, or whatever, we've got courses on all of those and more. So if you're thinking, you know, 
it's cool, but I haven't really got time for this. Just let me tell you, if you can put aside 30 to 60 minutes a day, just for five, four to five days a week, we can take your bass playing to the next level in no time at all. So if you haven't been to scottsbasslessons.com, go over, check it out, grab that 14-day free trial and get in on what we're doing. Other than that, guys, as always, I'll see you next week. Take it easy and I'll see you in the shed. Mm-hmm.